All your base are belong to us. Hello, and welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy, I'm a writer, and I watched stuff. Ooh. I'm Mary Montreal, digital marketer, and I also did stuff. Um, I started a lot of stuff and did not finish it. I think there's like three shows. One's a documentary. There's a book. Um, yeah, that I still need to finish. That's okay. You can save it for next time. Yeah, it's just like life fucking gets in the way. Truly, truly. Uh, on that note, um, just a programming note I'm going to put up front here rather than at the back like I usually would. We So our Patreon $100 per month goal is to have weekly episodes. And this is a twofold thing. One, we're not currently meeting that. Do I give a fuck about that? Not really. I like... The thing that the thing for with Patreon for me has always been that I really love doing this podcast and I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. Um, but because we are not currently meeting that goal and because every December I take off with the intent that I'm going to get ahead and then my fucking life falls apart. Um, I am not where I want to be as far as plotting out the next episode. So I'm not where I want to be. And Mary has her own shit going on. So we are going to for, well, I'll get to that. We're going to go down to weekly or bi-weekly episodes. So we are going to alternate between what we've been up to in full length episodes, but we're going to do them every other week instead of every week. Now, don't take this as me holding episodes hostage until we get back to $100 per month. I Like I said, I don't really care about that. It just it just gave you a good opportunity. Exactly. It was the excuse I needed to try to get ahead. So we will go back to doing weekly episodes when one of two things happens, whichever one happens first. I get ahead on outlining by an episode or two, or we hit $100 per month on Patreon. Whichever one of those. It doesn't matter which. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But... I need a little break because I work on the I work on this podcast literally every single day. She does a lot of work. And I think it would be like super rad if I had time to like read for fun or something. Um so we're just going to go bi-weekly for now. We might change the structure of what that's going to look like if we feel like oh uh, we want to do more long form episodes. Oh, we're not, we're taking too much time between what we've been up to. We'll we'll figure it out, but we're going to go bi-weekly for now. The structure of that might change. We might I might get far enough ahead that doesn't fucking matter. I don't know. We we're going to figure it out. But for now, anticipate bi-weekly episodes. Um was there something else I was going to say about this? Anyway, there might be more bonus stuff. Yes, that was it. We might do some more bonus oh, Patreon content. Um, because I don't want anybody to see this as like a punishment for like, you're not giving us enough money. So mm. we're stopping. That's not what this it just is about. gave us an opportunity. It, yeah, it really just gave me an opportunity to take a break that I've probably needed to take for a while. So we've been doing this for almost 10 years. Truly. It's nine years now. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to dial it back a bit and hopefully we'll be able to do more Patreon content and maybe like some bonus stuff and that kind of thing for Patreon because I've kind of let that slide as well. There's a, there is a romance book thing that has needed to go up for like three months and it's i just fine. 
keep pushing it off. Um, but it will happen. So hopefully more Patreon stuff will come up in the meantime until we go back to weekly episodes. When we go back to e- weekly episodes, I'm going to be excited about it because at that point I will hopefully be on top of it rather than like literally like not literally treading water. But that's how I feel because like we're going to record the Mean Girls. Well, before we made this decision today, we were going to be recording the Mean Girls episode in seven days. I have about a third of the outline done. And these outlines are like 15 to 20 pages. So imagine writing a 15 to 20 page paper in 30 minutes a day. And you don't even you only just take out the high show the highlights of what you've read. Yeah, it sucks. So I'm going to try not to do that. You don't want to do things that suck. Yeah, I'm going to try to do we're going to try to do less than that. We're not going to try to do less of that by going biweekly until I can get ahead or until we hit that hundred dollar mark. So don't feel this as pressure to to give us money. Don't think of this as like a quiet shutdown of the podcast. It's literally what it says on the tin. Your girl needs a break. And uh being below the threshold was a good excuse for it. So with that out of the way, I think you're the most worried about this. Oh, sure. (laughs) Sure. Because the way that our podcast works, you don't listen to some, well, some people do. I know that some people do. You don't listen, you most likely don't listen to the podcast if you haven't consumed the media we're talking about. Yeah. I Like, everybody else in the world is probably more chill about this than I am. Um, But I wanted to be 100% transparent and clear that this is not we're not we're not quiet quitting here, folks. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go first. Yeah, you have more. So I watched Moonstruck, which is a movie about Cher and Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Moonstruck. Now it's been a little bit since I watched it, but Moonstruck in Moonstruck, Cher is engaged to some boring man. I think which she would never do. She would never do. Also, I have to say, Cher looks fucking gorgeous in this. She's movie. great. She has the most perfect face. She looks incredible. I just watched an interview with her where she says Madonna's rude. It was great. I she, believe that. She's like, I you know, she was at a party at my house and she was just rude. She's a mean girl. And I was like, <laughs> you say it. Uh, Madonna's pretty terrible. So, yeah, like I, especially the way she's treated her children. Yeah, I 100% believe that Madonna would be mean. Um hold on. I'm looking I wanted to look really quick cuz I uh, I did watch a lot of things and read a lot of things, and I am sometimes getting the yeah. details of them mixed up. That's why I took out the hockey um, plot. There we go. Let me tell you, if you want some hockey romance, Rex, <laughs> got them. It's basically any of them because like, most of them right. are the same. Okay. So Moonstruck. Cher is in it, and she um, she believes that she has bad luck in part because her previous husband they didn't like do things by the book and he died two years into their marriage. So her boyfriend... What do you mean by the book? Like they just had an unconventional marriage? Well, like they didn't follow tradition. Okay. Um, Like he didn't get down on one knee and propose with a ring, for example. Neither did my husband. Mine, I think, was on two knees and gave me and a it came with grater. And it came with a cheese grater. Mine was... We looked at rings on my birthday. I found one, and I looked at him and go, "I guess we're engaged." <laughs> it just kind of happened. Yeah, and then we went to Haponesa, as you should. Um, so she's dating this man named Johnny Camerari, and he proposes to her, and he and she makes him go like, "You need to get down on one knee. You need to give me a ring." And he's like, why? And she's like, it's bad luck if you don't. And that's how my first husband died. So that happens. And then he immediately heads off to Sicily to take care of his mother. But before he goes, he tells her, you need to call my brother. We're estranged, but I need to have him at our wedding. This is sounding great. So, uh, yeah, I think think you'd really (laughs) like it. So she, she calls up his brother and he's like, 
no, fuck off, essentially. He doesn't want to talk to her. So she shows up at his place at his bakery because he runs a bakery. And it's Nicolas Cage. And he he gives this whole backstory of why he's estranged from his brother. And it's like he he didn't cut off his hand, but his hand he his hand was cut off because of something that could and if you really stretch be blamed on his brother um they start talking and they start talking about how terrible they both are and then they're like we gotta fuck <laughs> and then and yeah then it just escalates from there it was great <laughs> what a charming movie it was a delight. It was. I gotta watch this. Watching Nicholas Nicholas Cage and Cher was amazing. They were great together. What what a movie. What a film. <laughs> what a film. I loved it. It was excellent. Um, there's a lot of like infidelity in it. Everybody's cheating on everybody, but in a way that's just like interesting. Like it's just like it's really good. Everybody watch Moonstruck. Sounds good. If only to see Cher's incredible face. Wow, are you just reducing a woman down to her looks? Yes. No, she's great in this movie in every sense. But like, truly, though, her face is incredible in this movie. She looks heavenly. She looks ethereal. She always has, though, with like her hair. And yeah. Her, Have you like, seen her in this movie? I'm going to look it up right now. Okay. I'll, I'm going to pull up a picture, too, so you can see. I want, I want to find like peak incredible share. I mean, the cover is really good. But the cover is very good. Yeah, she just is. Um, Look at them. Look at them together. Yeah, it's it is. He's looking good too. Amazing I mean, faces. I'm not even attracted to him. Just amazing faces. Look yeah, at look at this one. Yeah, yeah. So Moonstruck, it's great. They kind of look like they could be siblings. A little bit, yeah. yeah which like, I think they're both Italian, or at least in the movie, they're both Italian. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did read actually shortly before drawing this movie out of the movie jar and I can't remember who wrote the newsletter I'm sorry uh, a newsletter writer I follow wrote an, wrote a newsletter about how this movie is only improved there's no werewolves in this movie despite it despite multiple references to wolves and full moons being everywhere um, but the newsletter writer did write a newsletter about how this movie is only improved if you just imagine that one or multiple people in it are secretly werewolves. I feel like a lot of things are just improved if you add a little bit of supernatural to it. Yes, werewolves in particular. You do love a good werewolf. I do love a good werewolf. Yeah. I'm sorry about your lack of werewolf like media. It is a real tragedy in my life that people like different things about werewolves than I do. And it's unfortunate too cuz like I could I could I could find some for you but they're not going to be the kind you want to read. <laughs> it's the stuff that people <laughs> like about werewolves that just like people are like, "Oh, alpha male." Uh, like most like Omegaverse and stuff. Yeah, and I'm like, that's not what I like about werewolves. What I like about werewolves is the idea that there's something horrible and secret inside of me and at any moment it's going to jump out and eat you. And it's bonus that they're a golden retriever. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, anyway, you can talk about something now. Moonstruck, well, it's good. Well, we both saw Megan. We did. We did both see Megan. When it was good. What a silly film. It was about... um uh. The girl, the Allison, whatever her name is from Girls, she and get out and get out. She works at a tech company. She's very tech oriented in her brain, and um, she's she works in like a fake Furby 
<laughs> yeah. A fake Furby kind of place um, trying to make new Furbies. They're not Furbies, but you you could tell they were like, what if we had Furbies but fat? For, like, like Furbies are fucked up, right? What if we made them worse? Yeah. What if we made them worse and they could like um, learn from your child and interact with them? Like actually do it as opposed to what Furbies did. Yeah. Yeah. Like like to the point where like I'm worried about this, but it makes a lot of money, so it'll never stop. Right. Anyway, she's like, I could do more. I could create a doll that would literally learn from your child, bond with them. Like what if a friend, but but doll. Yeah. What if I invented friends? Yeah. What if I invented friends? Because and she really pushes this. It kind of gets fucked up. And then she's like her boss, like put it on the back burner. And then she ends up um, getting custody of her niece because her um, her niece's parents died in a really weird snow accident. They were some ding dongs. Yeah, they were some ding dongs. who got run over by a snow truck, as does for being ding dongs. For being ding dongs. Sorry, sorry to speak ill of the dead. Yeah, and I kind of feel like the, the weird Furby saved the kid because she leaned down. Yeah. Anyways, she gets. She has no idea how to chat. Who? How to? She has no idea what a child is. Yes. But clearly she's Presumably she has never been one. She's never been one, never seen one. She comes and she brings the kid in and she's like, the kid's like, oh, toys. She's like, those aren't toys you open. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a hard time to bond. She's like, I really got to make this doll because something's got to bond with this kid. Right. So she does. And, you know, it doesn't go well. It goes well for the kid. As it turns out. What if a friend was a robot is not actually a good way to socialize a child? Yeah. And what if robot became obsessively protective? What if robot was in love with girl yeah. it's charged with? Yeah. I never thought of it, the in love part. So I didn't actually either. This is a, a point of discourse that has come up after I saw the film. So I, I don't know if about like, we're romantically re- in love. We're going to rewatch it today, yeah. and now I have read about... Other stuff. Megan loving Katie. Katie? Yeah, Katie. Megan being in love with Katie, so I'm going to rewatch it with that yeah. with that lens today, and I will, if I remember, let you know how I feel. You being the audience, let you know how I feel about You can let me know, too. I'll let you know, Sorry. too. Um, what I did like about this movie is that it's it kind of was like you're watching this like weird movie and then it suddenly reminds you it's a horror movie yeah and i thought that was really fun um because the the parts where you find out like you're like oh yeah this is a horror movie are fucking terrible (laughs) like just absolutely horrendous um at least for me i think i think my husband watched it he'd be like yeah whatever i saw i saw one thing (laughs) telegraphed a mile away and i was like "Uh uh-oh yeah it just um (laughs) It just suddenly reminds you it's a horror movie, and I really liked that. And the end was really good and really satisfying. Um, and it and and what I did like about it, at least upon my first viewing, is it didn't feel like technophobic. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't feel like it, technology is the issue. It felt techno- people are the issue. Yeah, it felt techno skeptic. Yes, which is kind of how I feel about things. I was re-listening to our American Gods episode because I'm editing it, and I was like, I might come off as a bit of a technophobe here, but that's not how I would identify myself. I would say I'm techno skeptic, primarily yeah. because I'm skeptical of the role that um, corporations want technology to play in our lives, especially with like ChatGPT and like literally Buzzfeed, mm-hmm. like 
uh, laying off. Tw- I think it's twelve percent. Twelve percent, yeah. And then and then saying we're going to use Chat GPT. Okay, that's going to work good. We've we've seen how that works when yeah. we played with it. Pivoting it doesn't. AI. Yeah, it doesn't work very well. So uh, yeah, I I think there were moments when it went a bit far into technophobia, and I also like as a person who doesn't want kids, there's also points in the movie where I was like, I feel like we're being a bit hard on this woman <laughs> who did not expect to spontaneously have a child in her home. Yeah, and and uh, yeah. I, if I suddenly had a child in my home, I would be so freaked out. I don't have anything for kids. You would, you would, I, you would be freaked out, but I think Josh would handle it really well. And I'm well. afraid that my dog would eat a child. So I don't think Fritz would eat a child. I don't know. I feel like there's two things that could happen. Fritz would really just be like, you need to stay away from me. Or Fritz would be like, this is my child. I will protect this you, child. I will protect this life. child with my life. Yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> it is hard to say. Um, but I, I really liked it. I think. What I got from it is that the real villain here is the friends you no um, <laughs> the friends you is make. capitalism and um like this idea this like the idea like, like technology will save us all it kind of reminds me this is not the theme of the movie but this the way that she like presents herself the main the main character not the not the little girl is re- reminds me of um. A lot of people are calling out like Silicon Valley people for having this idea that they should have as many children as they as they can. It's essentially like reverse genocide in a really bad way. They yeah. should have as many children as they can because they're really smart and they should get as many smart people as they can. And I think for some reason their children would be really smart because apparently that's, you know, a default. You can absolutely like inherit that from your parent. That doesn't mean they're going to come out smart. Um, and so like not i'm not saying that she is that way but i'm but like the way that she thinks can fall into the same like realm of people who do feel that way mm-hmm. and then there's the part of the capitalism where they're just trying like they truly think the fact that they really believe they can sell a hundred thousand dollar toy to people says a lot yeah because that's fucked up <laughs> that is that is a lot that is I think it was ten thousand. Was it? T- I thought it was. I think- oh, I think hundred thousand dollars to create. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyways, that's that's wild. Ten thousand dollars. Well, the, and it was weird that they didn't really. They've mentioned this, but they don't really emphasize it. What happens is that Katie says, essentially, this isn't verbatim, but she says something to the effect of, "If I had Megan, I would never need another toy." And yeah. so the the hinge that they're turning this marketing campaign on is. Buy Megan, you will never need to buy another toy. Yeah. Which is like, listen, that's so not right. That's I mean, not not right. That's that's not going to happen because kids are like toy box. Yeah. Oh, other toy. Like it's like they literally don't know the children that they're just taking the data from it. Right. These kids, kids get bored of toys so quickly um and yeah there's toys that they'll like be obsessive about and like keep but like for the most part kids are on to the next toy when they go to target yeah so i thought it was a really good commentary in a in a package that was easy to consume and fun yeah i thought it was a lot of fun i appreciate techno skepticism as a person who again i don't hate technology i, just, I use it every day of my life um i I think that you're i think it'd be easy to say that you are skeptic of those who believe technology is the future well it depends on what it is i just i'm very skeptical of um alexa alexa and google i don't have stuff like that it 
it's it freaks me out. I have Alexa to turn on my lights and my TV, and I'm gonna tell you, it's really nice to walk into the house and be like, Alexa, turn the lights on, and I don't have to fucking do anything. Yeah, it's just like when I walk into the house, the light switch is right there. Mine's not. I and have, I have a remote control. We have well, use the TV. <laughs> but it's nice. It just is nice. Yeah, I can be like Alexa, open Hulu, and it just goes straight to it. Mm-hmm. But then I have to like click the button to save my profile. So sure, like. There's like accessibility uses and stuff like that. Like I'm not I'm not the kind of person who's like no technology ever. I live in a cave. Um But I'm accepting the fact that they're taking my data. Yeah, and I feel I feel bad about that. We did have to disable one of the other Alexas that we had because it started just playing music. Mm. Was it good music? No. It was like rap and stuff, but like not even good rap. Um or it's it was just, young gravy. Or oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Megan was pretty good. Megan was really was good. I, I enjoyed it. I'm excited to watch it again. I'm not a technophobe. Um, I'm excited to see what they do in the next one. Yeah. Um, because I feel like, um, because I got such a good, it could go one of two ways. They got a good reception to it, right? So they can maybe go weirder. Like, um, not the saying that this is on par with any Jordan Peele movie, but Jordan Peele was able to go weirder. Sure. Um, so maybe they, I, I would like to see weirder because I always like weirder. Yeah. Or it could just be bad. Yeah. So I will say it's probably the best Bloomhouse movie I've seen in that it, the quality is just way good. I think you might be surprised by Bloomhouse doesn't do exclusively bad movies. No. They just do a lot of movies. I guess I'm just thinking of the bad horror movies. That, uh-huh. Well, they do horror movies, but I think they've also done good. I'm not sure if they did Get Out. Oh, they did do Black Phone. And that was, oh, they, okay, I'm going off. Of yeah, point. they did Get Out. Okay, okay, I'm I'm wrong. And Happy Death Day, which is also good. Um, they just they do so many horror movies. Like I feel like they fund probably like, every horror movie that they end up doing a lot of shitty ones. Too. Yeah, I've watched a lot of those. But like Halloween Ends, they did that. <sighs> Halloween Ends was bad. Even my husband hated it, and he liked they did Black Klansman. Really? Yeah. Get out. Hammer. Okay, so I'm wrong. Happy Death Day. I've just seen a lot of, of you, their horror you've movies. You've probably just seen a lot of their movies, and therefore you're aware of how many of them are bad. This is true, because my husband loves horror, and they do a lot of horror. Right. Yes. And he likes bad horror, specifically. Yeah. Which is crazy that he hated They did Halloween The Invisible Ends. Man. Did mm. you watch that? Yeah, that's with the girl who's a Scientologist. Yeah. Yeah. Unfriended. No, I didn't watch Unfriended. I'm thinking of Searching. Um... I read The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty. I hope I said that correctly. I didn't look it up and now I feel bad about it, but it's too late. Um, So this is a book which was really good, in my opinion. It's a book about a girl named Nari who is, and again, pardon my pronunciations, um, she is sort of a con woman in 18th century Cairo who goes around um, swindling nobles. But she also has healing powers. Like, she uses a combination of the actual power she has and her con abilities to make money and stay alive. Um, she accidentally summons a djinn warrior named Dara. Um, and he's like, who the fuck are you? And she's like, just some girl. And he's like, no, no, no. Your magical powers are not consistent with being just some girl. What the fuck's happening? And he decides to take her to Devabad, which is a city built by the people that he believes are her ancestors, who are these like magical, um, this magical family who used to rule the jinn. So they go on a journey to the city. 
And that's like kind of the first part of the story is them leaving to go there and like the journey there. There, the, the story also follows um, Ali, who is a devout Muslim, and he is a prince who is like second in line, and he's like definitely not the favored child. Um, he's Prince Harry, <laughs> known devout Muslim Prince Harry, yes. um, and he lives in Devabad, and his family uh, overthrew the Nahids, which is the family that Nari belongs to. Um, and he also secretly supports this group in the city that is essentially fighting for fighting against the oppression from the rulers of the the family that he belongs to. Um, so there's those two stories, they become intertwined and it really kind of feels like two books, but the way I really, with the length of it, it is quite long, but the way uh, I'm so glad it wasn't two books long because I loved the twist. Like really? it's not really a twist, but I love, I think people could go into this book and I kind of did too, expecting kind of a YA thing. There's like a bit of a, is it YA? No. Okay. There's a bit of a love triangle, but not in the way that you would think there's, um, everybody in this book is so fucking flawed. Like just people making the worst decisions what's the worst thing i could do i'm gonna do that even the protagonist like she has a moment where you expect her to learn a valuable lesson and make a compassionate choice and instead she like sticks up both her middle fingers and says fuck all of you uh and i love that for her we know i love a flawed protagonist and then the book ends on (laughs) some shit happens and the book ends and it was i i thought it was really brave (laughs) to do that i really really liked this book i thought it was super good if you enjoy fantasy books and you're trying to get away from western fantasy or you just want to read something outside of that this is it's great for that um it's on my to be read yeah i really enjoyed it i thought it was really good i'm excited to read the next book in the series which i won't for a while because my to be read shelf the physical one is overflowing and it has been. And it has been. And it's because I love to buy books. So you're just supporting. Some people have vices like other. You're not alone. No, I just, I, my vice is I walk into a bookstore and I cannot physically leave without purchasing something. I have to. I, it is a compulsion. I think, though, that you're better than a lot of, you're better than a lot of people. I am. Um, in that a lot of people have those TBRs, but then they just reread. Oh. books and you don't do that you know actually... i make there are some books i'm rereading on my to be read shelf but i make a con- i make a concentrated effort in my life to not do the same things over and over again because there we have one life and there's a lot of it and as much as i would love to read the westing game 100 times um once every few years is enough <laughs> i'm really excited to reread the westing game <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh city of brass it's good um so yeah you should read city of brass it's good if you like fantasy and 22 hours yeah but i've seen it on a lot of i I think you'll like it i haven't seen a lot of people talk about it but i've seen it on a lot of um if you like this you'll like that or or just on a lot of lists um like on goodreads and stuff yeah i really liked it i watched the menu which is a new movie with anya taylor joy and the guy from skins i can never remember his name nicholas holt nicholas holt who is slowly transforming into hugh grant yes and um he's not uh, aging he's anamorphic yeah and voldemort's in it and <laughs> ralph 
Rafe? Is it Rafe? Fuck Fine. if I know. It's Voldemort. Penis. 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 Oh. Phineas. Penis weird. I don't know. Venus. I don't know. It's Voldemort. Okay. I think it's Rafe Fines, and I don't know. Fines. Yeah. I don't know why it's Rafe and not Ralph. I don't know. He's just. It's just easier to say Voldemort. Yeah. Um. And it is. It is. I really want you to watch it because I think I will. I think this movie. First of all, I saw the trailer. Like they're eating people. A hundred percent. And I'm gonna spoil it for you. They're not eating people. Um, which is kind of good because like then you kind of went in and you're like, oh, I kind of know what this is about. And it's like not what you think it's about. It's a really good commentary. Okay, so what happens is you find out that this guy runs essentially an island where they uh um they run this like sustainable island and they have like really expensive um dinners. I think it's like fifteen hundred a person. Um and so you so like these really rich people are going to this to this island to go to this like really fancy restaurant. Some of them have been there like one couple that's like their ninth time going and another group of people are like tech bros and then there's Nicholas Holt's character who is a foodie but like like this like typical like I watch a lot of YouTube videos and follow a lot of like foodie people and thinks he knows a lot about food but like he just (laughs) no in a really (laughs) terrible way like really terrible and um they go and I don't want to spoil any of it because it's it's like you gotta go in blind you gotta go in blind it's really good commentary on things I don't want to say because I really it's not like it's not like going in blind is like going to change the experience you have, but I would like to, I still would like you to like go in blind. Um, I will say the tortilla scene is the person who does that should have won an Oscar. Um, it's really good. And I think you and Josh really like it. I really liked it. Um, I really loved Anya Taylor-Joy's character. I love what they did with her, what they did with everyone else. And um, I will say it can be trigger warning for some brutal shit goes on. Um, Chuck does the dog die. Yeah, Chuck does the dog die. There's some brutalness that like suddenly happens. And you're like, I wasn't expecting that. Um, but I like it. I think that there's a couple ways to read it and, um, I highly suggest it. Some people didn't like it. I think that that's valid. I think it's one of those ones where it kind of... I think it's invalid. Well, fuck you. I think if you didn't like it, you should be taken out back. <laughs> you should. I think I it's... It. I think it appears to, like, how... Ha- and I don't even know if it's that appears. I think it does, like its message is written right like on its arm and i think some people find that cringy and i don't um i think that that can happen and there still be more to read about it some people are just reading a very simple version of it which is valid as the hellblazer liker i think that it's fine to be super upfront about what you're saying yeah I mean, not in every case, but like there are a lot of things I went and I watched it. I was like, I knew what I thought about it. And then I watched um, some like videos of what other people thought about it and read some stuff. And I was like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So I think it was fun (laughs) in the most brutal way. I like that. You, I think you'll really like it. Like I, like I had to. I think I talked about this when I read Ninth House. I was like, I thought this book was so fun. And I'm like, maybe fun isn't the word. Entertaining. I don't want to. I don't want to set an expectation about 
what this book is like yeah. when I say fun. This- <laughs> because for some people, that book would be really distressing. But this is like a psychological like. funhouse. Sick. Yeah. I would say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Except you're all in one room, kind okay. of. Um, except when you're not. Sure. Um, I think there's a lot of little things that if I watch it again, I'll see that I didn't see the first time. I have not seen this movie, but Anya Taylor-Joy was in the music video for Dinners and Diatribes by Hosier. And I just assume it's that part two. It's like full length. I haven't watched that. We can watch it later. We can watch it later. <laughs> and I'll me. let you know. You can tell me if the menu yeah. is Dinner and Diet. I just haven't two. watched a movie with her in it that I didn't like. Yeah. Um, I really like her. And is it just because I like her movies and I know absolutely nothing about her? Yeah. But maybe that's for the best. What is the job of rich people but to be entertaining? Exactly. If they don't entertain me, then I will be that guy the fucking what do they call them in ancient hitchhiker. Greece and Rome not a hitchhiker where they are not entertained and they put their Ugh. thumb down that is how I feel about celebrities if you do not entertain me thumbs down I will feed you to a lion yeah that sounds right I also think she's just kind of weird yeah so yeah I liked it I think you'll like it I think Josh will really like it um I think a lot of people will like it nice and some people won't I've seen people Deep really thoughts. fucking hate it <laughs> And I would like to know why they really fucking hate it. I read Hellphone by Benji Nate. Benji Nate is one of my favorite cartoonists. Um, She did Catboy. And uh, she's currently doing Girl Juice. And Hellphone is a story about these two girls. One of them finds an old cell phone, which rings. And she picks it up. And it says, go to this house. And she and her friend go there and they see smart. They see a dead body and then they call the cops and the cops show up. There's no dead body. And the the cell phone basically, it seems to be directing them to maybe solve a murder, <laughs> but it's unclear. <laughs> it's unclear what the cell phone is doing. Um, I really like it. I really like Benji Nate's uh, comics in particular because she has this very cute style. Like, almost like too cute when you see it but like purposefully yeah because like Catboy is really funny but um some oh she did Lorna as well Lorna is like kind of um Emily the Strange but for now (laughs) Emily Emily today Emily or sorry Emily the Strange for today's crowd um so I really really like her work and Hellphone was more of this like just like juxtaposition of this extremely cute artwork and this like fucked up murder <laughs> story. Um, so I really enjoyed that. She, a girl juice is another good example. So she's doing this like on this ongoing web comic and then also a book that's in progress, um, which is girl juice is like all of these very like stereotypical kind of young women, but it's like about, how gross women can be and i love that you love a gross woman i love a gross woman i love it they're like gross in like pretty normal ways it's but like that one was like i support women's rights but i support women's wrongs and yeah you're like i support women's rights but i support gross women yeah yeah absolutely um so hellphone if you like comics is really good uh i had a lot For of anyone fun. who likes any comics if you like i, I don't give a fuck you should read <laughs> hellphone 
Yeah, I love Telephone. It was super, super fun. Also, a really quick read. Uh, just volume one is out now. I don't think that volume two is out, but I'm ready. You can talk. You can talk. Thanks. Um, I watched House Husband with it's, my with my husband. It's Way of the House Husband, right? Way of the House Husband, okay, yes. I just want to make sure that it was yes. the thing I was thinking of. Yes. Um, and my husband and I usually, my husband works nights, and so he comes home for a half hour for dinner or his lunch, I guess. And we usually, like, watch something that's about a half hour. So we've gotten through a lot of stuff like Avatar, and we needed something new. And Way of the House Husband was really popular on Netflix, so we were like, well, let's just start it. Wow, that's a great show. I really want to watch it. It's so fucking good. It is meant for me. Um, it is the story of a guy who used to be in Yakuza, and he used to be like the guy, the guy you are afraid of. I think it's like the immortal dragon. He has a bunch of tattoos. He always wears like sunglasses. Um, and then he apparently falls in love and uh, becomes a house husband, and his wife works, and he does everything, and he like really fucking loves his wife like he does these things for her i know there's like a lot of discourse online about weaponized incompetence from men and the and like overwhelmed women and he is doing a lot of the things that so many women do but he fucking loves it he fucking loves making little cream puffs or whatever and he screams as he's like you must do it this way and just screams at it and is like oftentimes sounds like he's gonna kill someone but he's really just talking about food or like when he teaches his his he takes on an apprentice who used to be his apprentice for killing people and teaches them how to keep a clean house and how to do laundry correctly and then i don't know what happens but a bunch of other people who are in other gangs start doing similar things like one of one of them she she starts a a market a food market and she's and it's just very funny and fun and sometimes there's flashbacks to him all bloody and I'm just like this is for me <laughs> uh, he wears an apron with a little dog on it and he has a really he, they have a kitten I guess it's like just a young cat that's just really fucking stupid and they have like this like random off like five minute stories at the end about the kitten and like one of them it's just this cat goes into some other cat's yard and was and their cat's like what are you doing and the cat's like, i need to poop and they're like you can't poop in my yard he's like but i have to poop he's like i have a cat box there he's like i've already dug the hole <laughs> it's very funny um and but the, there's only one problem with this show and it's kind of major my husband wants to be a house husband now and he <laughs> constantly tells me Every single day. My husband would be a terrible house husband. He would just play video games all day. He would make me a lot of bread. Oh, fuck. I've had bread to bring you. It's rolls. We had sliders last night and he made homemade rolls. Um, But he, like, when I say, like, he wants to be a house husband, it's not like, oh, that'd be nice. It's like, make more money. I need to be a house husband. I really want to be a house husband so bad. Um, Like, he would do, like... We are not the couple where he brings in, you know, he's going to work and I stay home. I don't want to do that, but he would. He would love it. Um, it's really fun and really good. We finished the first season. We're on to the second season. And I think like some of the episodes are not in like chronological order, which had happened to me with Letterkenny. Did you guys have that happen? Oh, the season finale. Yeah, it's because those are those are not in continuity. The holiday oh. episodes, none of them are in continuity. Okay. Anyways, uh, not really finales. It's like a bonus, a bonus yeah. Jonas. Okay. Anyways, I don't. I th feel like some of them on and house husband are not like in order, but it doesn't really matter. Um, 
because it's just really good. It's like the most wholesome show about a guy who's killed a lot of people. Um, and now he's just killing the game. Like he's, he's just, he goes to like cooking classes with a bunch of other women and like they scare him sometimes and like just all these different things and like goes and like on these like missions that seems like he's like trying to find someone to kill, but really he's trying to find like, I don't know, this is not one of them, but it's a good example of like the best boba like to use or like the best flour to use in his, I don't know, some food he makes. Um, and he just yells a lot and I really like it. I highly suggest it if you want something fun and fluffy to watch that is not long and, um, fun. Nice. You know what wasn't fun? Imagine Communities by Benedict Anderson. You didn't like it? Oh, it's not that I didn't like it. It's that it's an extremely dense and dry academic text. Um, so Imagine Communities by Benedict Anderson. Oh, I remember you talking about this. Is a book on nationalism. It's about what nationalism is. How did nationalism begin? How is national loyalty constructed? And I read the first chapter of this book in, I think, multiple English classes. And you can tell I bought it used and there's about five other students <laughs> underlining, highlighting. Making did you notes love that? In the, yes, because I can't understand it without that. Mm-hmm. So because this class in particular, I know it was English 301. English 301 required it as a text, but we mostly only read the first chapter. And so I read finally beyond the first chapter without the guidance of, you know, without standing on the shoulders of every student who had read this exact copy before me. And it was so hard to read. (laughs) It was it's not bad. And it's really interesting. But like, I've never read maybe a book less approachable than this one. There are entire sections of the book where he quotes writers in in other languages and does not translate. Is it written for academics within his field? And it's it's assumed that, like, you speak French. <laughs> I do not. I mean, I can speak a little French, but not enough to read academic work in French. Um, it is. This, go ahead. It is really interesting, though. Like, it's it is really, really interesting to think of nationalism as something recent and constructed rather than as something inherent. Because, like, prior to he. Ugh, let me actually grab the book so I can talk about the the factors he identifies as like contributing to nationalism. Well, okay. Anyway, one of the major one of the major features that Benedict Anderson identifies as contributing to the growth of nationalism is the idea of print capitalism, which is um, printing works like printed works that allow and encourage people to share a language, which before print capitalism was not. Like it was not a thing. You didn't you didn't necessarily have camaraderie with like people 50 miles away from you. They could speak a different language. They had very they could have very different lifestyles. You didn't necessarily feel camaraderie with them. But when print capitalism entered and when uh, we had national languages, the shared language contributes to the experience of living in harmony with people who you may have nothing in common with. Could you say the Internet similar? Yeah, I'd be actually be really interested to see what he has to say about the internet. But like, so when we were talking about this in the American Gods episode, I just invoked Benedict, Benedict Anderson without explaining it because it takes too long to explain and that episode was long enough. Um, but like, I share a language with people in Florida, you know, which is graphic, geographically far away from me. We share a language, we share a country, but we don't 
actually we share some elements of culture, of course, but like, you know, I only think of them as part of my community because we live in a country that tells us we're a community. If that was not true, if we did not, if the United States, the concept didn't exist, we probably wouldn't think of ourselves as community members, right? Likewise, the, the United States could not exist without a shared language and without the like disseminated idea that we are part of a community. And it behooves people in power to establish these communities. That right? makes sense why so many people are so upset that Spanish is becoming much more prevalent. Yeah, in some senses, it threatens nationalism. If Because if, our country doesn't have an official language. We don't. But the majority of our communication is done through English. And if our idea of what makes the nation, that it's an imagined community, it's not a real community, we imagine it based on certain factors. If one of the factors that contributes to that imagined community is speaking English, then not having everybody speak English is a threat to nationalism. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. So and that's it's like really just um, lines up with a lot of arguments that we see through like... Um, Extremist, I almost said extremist whites. Well, <laughs> extremist right wings. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> if the shoe fits. Um, so it's, it's a, like, it's really fascinating. Legitimately, really, really fascinating. It's so hard to read, though. That's a bummer. Because so, I think it's much harder to create something that's easy to read and yeah, accessible. I, if, like, I would recommend if this is interesting to you, read it with somebody else. I bet like, there's a good analysis on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, find somebody who can read it and work through it with you. Because let me tell you, having all of these notes from other students really helped me. But when I got past the point of required reading, which was like just the first couple chapters, mm -hmm. once I made it past the required reading section, I was kind of at sea. Yeah. There I can see like having a class where you all discuss it is really going to help. Yeah, for sure. That really helped me because like I came into English later than most students. Um, I changed my major and I didn't have the foundational understanding of criticism that a lot of students around me did. And I was a little bit older than them. Um, so it was really important for me if I had tried to read this on my own back in 2012, I think was when I would have taken this course, it, I would have been completely lost. It was only because I was discussing it with other people that I was able to understand it. And I think that having somebody to read something like this with will really enhance the experience and make it more beneficial than trying to read it all on your own, unless you're smarter than me, which is possible. So, <laughs> but it was rough. It was rough. Trying I don't to read think it anyone's smarter than you. There are definitely people smarter than me in the world. Mm -hmm. um, Benedict Anderson is probably smarter than me. <laughs> or is it just so like hard to read that you just think that because that's like a real thing like academics will do I know when I took philosophy classes one of my teachers talked about how prevalent it is to write things that sound like so hard to read because it makes them look smarter and it makes people from the outside think that they're much smarter than they maybe are yeah this not this, saying that's what this person is doing what's really funny is that uh one of the reviews of this book is like, it's readable. And I was like, what? Who, who, yeah, it's the Guardian review. Sparkling, readable, densely packed. It sounds readable? like, it sounds like uh, people are just trying to make themselves seem smart. A brilliant exegesis on nationalism. That's true. A brilliant book. Yes. This is a book to be owned and read and reread and treasured. Sure. Readable? This was a hard read, folks. <laughs> this was a rough one. 
not because it's bad, just because it's really dense. And like, and, and there's just sections of untranslated French. I remember French. There might be other languages, but yeah, it's good, though. One of the really nice things about reading on my phone is that sometimes I'll ha- read a book and there's a different language in it and they don't they don't translate it. It's not needed to be translated, but I can just hold and and uh, highlight, and then it'll give me the translation. I want to find you an example of what I mean. It'll just also like- give me, like, definitions. These are the benefits of reading on my phone. Okay. <laughs> on a different note, I watched Hitchhiker with a Hatchet, which is, <laughs> which is a documentary. I was at my parents' house, and my cousin was there, and my dad was there. We wanted to watch something. It was like an hour and a half. It was easy to watch. It was not easy to watch. It was quick watch. Um, it's a documentary. I had not heard of this guy. My cousin had, and it's this guy. He, he became viral years ago because there was um, an accident that had happened, and it the a guy ran another guy into a pole and he the driver came out screaming racist and crazy things just things that are like i don't know anything you can think wild he was saying it and he had picked up this guy this hitchhiker while he was driving and the hitchhiker was still in the car and people were trying to help the guy who was pinned a woman came up and the driver started grabbing the woman and just punching her and so the hitchhiker, for some reason, had a hatchet in his backpack and started hitting the driver and s- essentially saved the woman. But he said, and I went, I don't remember his bam, but he went bam, bam, bam. And it was kind of funny. And it became one of those viral things. Um, like there was like, this, you know how there's a song written about like double rainbow. It happened with this he was like this he just looked like this like skater kid and kind of like a stoner and he did it and then he like walked away and no one could find him and like all these people wanted to find him um the people who were producers of the kardashians wanted to find him and give him um a reality tv show uh jimmy kimmel wanted him on his show like all these people were trying to find him eventually the guy who uh interviewed him was able to find him and like kind of help him navigate through these things and like he was talking to him he's like hey i've gotten some emails and there's um an opportunity you could go i can't remember where it was and you can go talk to somebody about like getting you know being paid quite a bit to have a reality show he's like well or you can go down to like the Bay Area, which is where he was trying to get. He goes, I think I just want to go to the Bay Area and like smoke some weed. <laughs> so like that's the kind of like person he comes out. And, like he very charismatic. When he finally gets another camera on him, he goes off about how um, homelessness can be fixed by people and how they treat homeless people. And um, he would give things to people who I mean, he was homeless. But right. But it was like a choice for him. He, he they would people would give him money and he would just give it to homeless people um he seemed very like invested in that which made sense because he he got around with like essentially just backpacking everywhere hitchhiking if you will um he finally did get on um Jimmy Kimmel and before that happened uh he peed on a, one of their signs and then he got on there, did the show. It kind of didn't go how they were expecting, but like not terrible. They gave him $500. He went out, gave the $500 to the security and said, sorry for peeing on your sign. Like that's the kind of guy he was. And everyone's like, what this silly guy. And then as people, as this group of people spent more time with him, 
he started to have these weird violent out- outbursts. Like he, they took him to a hotel and he started drinking, but like not like, oh, having multiple drinks, like guzzling from a bottle. And he destroyed the room. He just went, he got very violent. And as the story goes on, they learn more and more about him. He apparently had this terrible, tragic childhood where he was like kept in a cage. But then they interview his mom and like, that didn't seem to like match up and all these things. And then um, in the end, you find out he's most likely killed this guy. Um, and he like, he doesn't admit to killing him, but the, the issue, what happened was, is he, I think it was in New Jersey. He was there, he's hitchhiking and a guy who ended up being a judge picks him up and takes him home. And he says that, Essentially, without going into graphic detail, he was sexually assaulted by this man, which I believe because the way that he at least the way that not just he tells a story, but like the detectives tell the story. It definitely feels like it feels very plausible that this man picked up this guy and brought him into his home for nefarious reasons. Um, And he said he hit him over the head, but he most likely did kill the man. And he's now in the hitchhiker is now in jail and like. It's just wild. That that story really went from uh, the title. I was like, oh, this is like a murder thing. And then it was like, oh, it's not. And, and then full circle. I would also like to point out this all happened in four months. Wow. Yeah. What a life. It really, like, exactly what you explained was kind of was like how we went through the whole, sh- like, dem- documentary. It was like, whoa, okay. And then, like, this happened before. I'm like, what? It's just really wild. And um, I'm very glad he didn't get a reality show, especially since, like, the documentary framed the people trying to get him a reality show as, like, good people. And, like, they're not. They're trying to sign him and get him to sign papers. Yeah, as quickly as possible. It sounds like this man might need some mental help. Yeah, but like they, no one provided him with a lawyer. They yeah. purposely didn't uh, like give it's him a lawyer. A spectacle out of him. Yeah, and and wanted to take advantage of his lack of knowledge of what he's getting into, so they could pay him the least amount of money and essentially own him. So I'm very glad that he did that didn't happen for him. Um, unfortunately, he he did probably murder at least one person. Yeah. Um, he had a violent streak, and I just think that you know. It was a wild story. It was really interesting. If you're into true crime, definitely watch. If you're into like casual true crime, like I will watch it sometimes. This one was entertaining. My dad even liked it and he doesn't like a lot of things. Hitchhiker with a with a hatchet. Uh, I watched Jojo Rabbit. I'm so excited that you watched this because I think it's such an interesting movie. It is. I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good. That's my take. I think that's... I, I understand why so much attention was devoted to this movie. Like, I totally get it. Quality-wise, I don't think it was worth it. Uh, so Jojo Rabbit is about a kid. It's based on a book. Um, it is about a child in Nazi Germany. I think it's in Germany. Pretty sure it's in Germany. Yeah. Um, pretty sure. I guess it could be, like, Austria. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know shit. Um, so it's about this kid who is kind of a lonely kid. His sister died. He lives with his mother. His father has left for reasons he doesn't understand. So it's just him and his mom. Uh, I will, for once in my life, give a shout out to Scarlett Johansson, the only time in history she has played a character that I have liked. Yeah. And her story is really sad. With emotion. I didn't know Scarlett Johansson could emote. 
Yeah, it, I do like it was un- it's almost like it's unfortunate that I like her so much in this movie. Yeah, like I was like, oh my god, actually, I'm enjoying watching Scarlett Johansson in something. Her, her I, I think that her character was really good. Yeah, I think what's interesting about this movie is it's funny, and then you feel like, should I be laughing? Yeah, and and I think that's well. Okay, let me go back to the plot really briefly. So. This kid is kind of lonely. That's Jojo. He's kind of lonely. He ima- his his imaginary friend is Hitler. Like he's like growing up in Nazi Germany Germany and he's just like Hitler, cool guy. He's my imaginary friend. And he ends up he's at like a Hitler youth camp where um Sam Rockwell. Oh, can I just say now on the flip side of Scarlett Johansson, I can't bear the Rebel Wilson character. I can't remember. Is that one of the uh, sergeants or the... No. She's the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I know she plays about. the same character in everything, and it's insufferable every time. I bet you she's going to get more diverse um, yeah. when, since she's lost weight. Absolutely. <laughs> but, God, her characters are insufferable. Uh, anyway, so he's at this Hitler youth camp, and he gets ordered to kill a rabbit. He can't do it. He like can't bring himself to kill this rabbit, and he gets called... Jojo Rabbit, because of it, he tries to prove himself and ends up grabbing a live grenade and getting blown up. He doesn't die, but he gets in, he gets seriously injured and then has to go like do fireworks. Yeah, he has to go do like menial chores for the SS or something. I don't know exactly what he has to do, like menial chores to continue working with. He's useless to them. The Nazis. Yeah. So and also Sam Rockwell's character gets demoted as well and has to oversee this department of menial Nazi tasks. Um, little bit of spoilers. It's or not a spoiler. This is part of the core plot. It turns out that um, his mother, Jojo's mother, is hiding a Jewish girl in their home, and he ends up striking up a sort of tenuous friendship ish with this girl. Now, I think you can see if you haven't seen the movie why this got so much attention from myriad groups of people the movie is about uh indoctrination it's about this kid who is a hardcore believer in the nazi ideology before he is an adult and like capable of understanding the horrible things that he's regurgitating you know um it's also a movie in which literally hitler is portrayed by taika waititi in an extremely comedic way It is also a movie about friendship between a child who says hateful, hateful, hateful things and a Jewish girl. There's a lot to unpack there. Like, there's just a lot of things happening thematically there. The execution of the movie, I think, was fine. I don't think that it was especially good. I don't think it was bad. I think that the movie set out to do what it set out to do. And I think... As we've seen, and I talked about this, I think, in our What We Do in the Shadows episode about the movie specifically, Tega Waititi, as a director, likes to play with the taboo in a way that, to some people, is going to feel bad. Like, it's going to feel like it's mocking the wrong target. Like, because I know some people really responded to this movie and the portrayal of Hitler as, like, this buffoon, as making light of his atrocities and i think it's fair i think i think it's fair to to see that but i also think that's not 
what like the movie is seeing Hitler through the lens of a child. Like that's not really Hitler. That's the child's imagined version of Hitler who is appealing to a child, right? And in the background, you can see the actual like consequences of Hitler. Right. And they're not legible to a child. A child simply doesn't understand, you know, those kinds of atrocities, like especially a child in this case in a position of power. Certainly a Jewish child in a in a concentration camp can understand the atrocity happening, right? They're going to understand it differently than an adult. But I don't mean to imply that like no child anywhere is capable of understanding atrocity. It's just the position of Jojo in particular as the kid with the power, enjoying the experience of having the power and being fed, you know, information about his own superiority. Like that's, that is the, that is the, that is what is constructing Hitler in this case. Now, in I, I'm not Jewish. I don't want to talk about like I don't want to place Is Taika Waititi Jewish. Ta- yes, okay. he's Jewish. He he's has Jewish ancestry. He's not like practicing Jewish. I think he's like secular. You know, he's um, like Seth. huh? He's like Seth. From yeah, he's a uh, he is both. Um, uh, I, I think he's Maori. I'll look it up. Yeah, will you look it up just to confirm? I'm pretty sure he is. Um, but his his ancestry is such that like. I don't know. It's one of those things I don't want to I don't want to say whether it's OK for him to do that because it's not my place to say. You're correct. He yeah, is mo- his um, his mother's side. What were Russian Jewish <laughs> mixed with a little bit of Irish? I'm assuming that is his quote. Yeah. Um, and his father was Maori with a little bit of French Canadian. Right. So he has like he calls himself a Polynesian Jew. Yeah. So he has this like this history and that kind of thing and i don't want to say whether it's okay for him like it's not my place to say oh it's fine for him to do that because but like i talked about in the what we do in the shadows episode it is interesting right that he chooses to put himself again here in the position of the oppressor and the murderer um i can't say whether that's right or not but i think it's it is interesting to say the least i remember hearing him talk about it and having to like Walking because he he essentially kept, if I remember correctly, he essentially kept character while they weren't uh, rolling. Mm-hmm. And he had to take moments of being of like understanding like his history. Right. And what that meant to the who he's playing. So I think um, I think he took a lot of care in what he did. I just um, I think that it is hard to watch in such a weird way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And I another piece of criticism I saw about the movie was that it was too humanizing toward the Nazis, specifically because of what happens with Sam Rockwell's character. Yeah, the humor around it makes it... Yes, I would agree with that. I felt very differently about Sam Rockwell's character than a lot of people did, I really? think. Yeah, so this is a major spoiler. This is a major, major spoiler. If you haven't seen the movie and you care about being spoiled, fast forward. Um, give me a, a couple of minutes, I think. Um so Sam Rockwell's character is heavily implied to be gay. He, I think he's confirmed to be gay outside of the movie. Um, but in the movie, it's extremely heavily implied that he's gay. And some people watch this movie and felt that it was too humanizing towards his character in particular, because what happens is he has the opportunity to throw Jojo under the bus and he chooses not to take it and he gets shot. And I, <laughs> some people read that as because he's gay he's a good person actually i could not disagree more i think it was actually really effective to have a white gay man be willing to not because i think gay men are nazis please god i have to 
give disclaimers when I say things like this. The 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 choice to have a white gay man participate in the Nazi party to me speaks not to him being gay, but to the fact that people will put themselves in positions of power where they can oppress others to save themselves. I mean, look at um what's his name, George Santos. Look at Milo Yiannopoulos. Yeah. <laughs> like these are people who these are self-hating people in the case of Milo Yiannopoulos, but like it is not yes, he's doing it to save himself. That doesn't make him a good person. Even his sacrifice in the end does not make him a good person. He's a fucking Nazi. And I didn't feel like the movie was trying to make me think that he was good. It was trying to make me think that he was a person. I th- I think the humor would to me seems more humanizing than anything. Yeah. To me the to me the treatment of Sam Rockwell's character in particular speaks to I think more of the theme of the movie being the Nazis were people and that's fucked up. Yeah, I when I I remember watching it and and having that that feeling of like this is funny but you still have to remember that they're Nazis. Just like Coco Chanel, she did a lot but right. we still have to remember she was a Nazi or at least a Nazi sympathizer I think she was. Yeah. Just like the same fucking thing. Yeah, it's it's like I understand why people wouldn't like this movie and why they would be uncomfortable with it and why they would have criticisms of it. And I think that a lot of that is like completely valid. I don't think that the movie was actually sympathetic towards Sam Rockwell's character. I think that it was humanizing him, which does not mean making him sympathetic. I mean, it was like the (laughs) saving a child from death is like fucking below the bar. Right? (laughs) Yeah. How many children died because of shit that he did? Right? Especially since he sees this child as a Nazi child. We're seeing this movie through the eyes of Jojo, right? Who is a child. Like, that's why the movie has this kind of colorful, um, lighthearted tone. (laughs) Even though it is about fucking atrocities. Like, I thought it was really effective in, in that goal of humanizing the Nazis in the sense of, like, they were people, and that's worse right like that's worse it's scarier that they were just people yeah. who had feelings and who loved and like that's even worse right yeah. like that to me is way more scary than if they were like possessed by demons or something it's like extra scary right now because people are weaponizing that in like school systems mm-hmm. where they're trying to get things changed of like there's a side there's some like there's two sides of each story and there's no wrong way and I think being like there is a definitely a wrong there way is there is when we're talking about the Nazis and it's being a Nazi yeah yeah, there is. And like these right wing people are trying to like come into these schools and being like, you can't you can't teach it as there's a right and a wrong when there is. There definitely is. There is. I So I don't know. I didn't love the movie, but I think it was effective at what it was trying to do. And I think that I don't know. I, I really liked it. Yeah, I thought it was good. I probably won't ever watch it again Um, because it's not a movie. Like, why would I want to? <laughs> You know, what am I going to get out of watching this a second yeah. time? I did. I thought that some of the criticism was well-deserved and some of the criticism was a bit disingenuous. Just because someone's gay doesn't mean that they're a good person. Nor does it even mean that, like, the filmmaker thinks they're a good person. I think that yeah. Sam Rockwell's character was complex. And just because he did one thing where he saved one child and also he was gay does not absolve him of the crimes of being a fucking Nazi. Yeah, I mean, just people are just gay. 
That doesn't. It is not more. It is. There is no moral value to being gay. And I'm sorry. Like, I know that's a joke that like goes around, but it, we have to remember it is a joke. Gay, pe- queer people are absolutely capable of committing atrocities. I'm bisexual. You know who else is bisexual? You are atrocity. Kristen Cinema. It's Has just she committed atrocities. No, but she fucking sucks. And it's embarrassing. Well, and like, um, there's all the rumors about all the Republicans who yeah. sleep around and with with other men, and like they're still terrible. Yeah, it's not. It is not necessarily virtuous to be queer. Yeah. I, you know, it would be super great if that's how it worked, but it's not. A great a great example of this is um that one book you had me read in the Dream House. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the Dream House is a really good example mm-hmm. of this. That was a bad person. Yep. I recommend reading in the dream house. We have to consider ourselves as full and complete beings. And that includes the shitty ones. So yeah, Jojo Rabbit, I thought was really interesting. I thought it was really effective at what it was doing. I don't think it, I really do think this movie got probably more attention than it deserved in terms of, well, this was also like, Taika Waititi was really hitting his stride of like yeah, getting this was, popular. This was when people were feeling Taika Waititi. Yeah. Now we hate Taika Waititi. I don't. He well, he cheated on his wife, and I did not know that. Yeah, he cheated on his wife when I think making Jojo Rabbit with his assistant, I believe, is who he cheated on her with. Um. Also, it's really easy for people to hate him because he's not white, and yeah. he's ki- and he's kind of embarrassing. You know yeah. what I mean? He's, he's he can be cringe. Yeah, he's kind of a cringe man. Yeah. It's fine. Whatever. Whatever. Let people be cringe. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Um. Anyway, Jojo Rabbit was pretty good. It was interesting. I don't think it was a masterpiece and I don't think it was shit. It it really it felt like the culmination of a lot of Taika Waititi's other works. Well, and it made you think and that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh I changed the last thing I had. I did have the Glee documentary, but mm. I didn't have too much really to say about it and then I remembered I watched This Place Rules. Um I would like to preference this with the guy who created this I can't remember the he had like a YouTube channel and he you probably have seen him like go and like interview people at um like trump rallies and stuff i want to preface this with it came out that he uh he didn't sexually assault well it's hard to say he is was he multiple women came out and said he wouldn't take no for an answer but not in like a violent way of like un, like just kept asking i was and asking so worried and asking was, i was so worried this was jordan klepper it's not uh, no, it's I can't remember Andrew it's, Callahan. Yes, that's who it is. So he didn't like. It's one of the. I don't know. It's it's clearly manipulative, and he's come out and he said, "Yeah, I did that." He's like, "I did that," and um, I. It sucks because his documentary is really good for most of it. Um, and but I I feel for the women who are like I cannot not say this while he's getting all this praise and it's multiple women and he like people are like oh we don't know all the facts and, but like he literally said he did it mm-hmm. um, anyway so I just want to preface this conversation with that okay this place rules is about this guy who decides to document um, I think it's like for a year of him going to right-wing Trump rallies and other different kinds of things. He interviews, like, um, what's his name? <sighs> From InfoWars. Alex Jones. He in- interviews Alex Jones, and, like, he has the strangest footage of him, like, Alex Jones just, like, dumping alcohol into his mouth while he's, like, 
lifting weights and then like Alex Jones is like I don't know it's the most bizarre fucking thing that ever right. yeah um and he has a lot of interviews with just people who what you'd expect to see or if you see these online often what you see over and over again a lot of QAnon people um what he does though which is different from what I've seen from others and um you can feel two ways. I think about this. You can think that this is a good thing or you can think that this is a bad thing. I think it was a good thing for the documentary in that he just lets people talk. He does not challenge them. He does not say anything. He just asks a question and lets them talk, which also means that he got really close. He was able to have a lot of access, like at one point was able to be on the stage with like some of these people when they're doing their terrible rallies. Um, the part that made me the most uncomfortable but it's um, he goes to this house and where he mostly interviews the child who's like 10 at the most. And his child, his, the parents are QAnon and they are like took their kids out of school. They teach. I mean, this totally brainwashed this kid. This kid is like um, all Democrats are pedophiles. I mean, just everything, every horrible thing you can do. This kid is spewing. And I think it's important to see like how easy it is to indoctrinate not just people, but for those people to indoctrinate their children. Mm -hmm. But also these are children. Um, and I felt a little uncomfortable watching this child be the main person that's being interviewed. An appropriate thing to discuss right after Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, exactly. That's great. That was a great uh, segue. I just I think it's important to see that. But the fact that he only really interviewed the kid, he showed the kid like being a kid too and I think that was important but that kid is just a kid and that kid can grow up and look back and be like that's I'm that's me forever now yeah if it was me I would anonymize that kid yeah exactly I follow this one girl on TikTok um who is a huge advocate for not using your children as content oh yeah and um so I went in with some of her content that I had just started watching her stuff and it it really made me think and now like I look back on other some other things and I'm like let's not use children as a way to prove a point yeah. I think it's important to talk about it I think it's important to know that this goes on like it is exactly important. it is important to understand that people can be fed this yes. bullshit as a diet yes and it's important to know that children are malleable yeah that this happens it, like that's important to know because I think a lot of people are like where does this come from and mm -hmm. in some cases like it's fed to you now that doesn't excuse when you become an adult mm -hmm. this doesn't excuse you know people who are you know violently racist into adulthood y the internet exists you can get out of your bubble you can choose not to be hateful mm -hmm. you can choose to like rebuild your understanding of things it doesn't it's not an excuse but at the same time like this stuff doesn't come from nowhere yeah you know it comes from somewhere yeah. and acknowledging that I think is important. I personally would anonymize a child yeah. because a 10 year old doesn't fully grasp. Yeah. And there were other kids as well, but the 10 year old specifically, I think there he tries to like humanize these people kind of similar to Jojo rabbit. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, in that like, these normal people can also kind of go crazy, can also kind of like believe this conspiracy conspiracy thing. And maybe it's just because I see a lot of it like online, but like I don't think that this necessarily needs to be proven. Yeah. We know. 
Um, it, and it, I'm also like hesitant. He, you know, who he interviews that was really fucking interesting mm. is the guy who runs Proud Boys. Did you know that the guy who used to run Proud Boys is someone who used to own Vice? Uh, I think I did know that actually. And so this guy, I can't remember his name, and he doesn't. He's a piece of shit, so I don't care. Um, he he was chosen strategically to run Proud Boys, right? He is a person of color. He's a terrible person as well. And he admitted in his interview, essentially, he's just he's just using Proud Boys as a way to gain power because he also he sells a lot of things. He sells a lot of T-shirts and he sells it to right wing and left wing people. He's just looking to make money. And I mm-hmm. thought that was so interesting. And I wish like it's one of those things where like it's really clear. How can you not see it? But also we're also only seeing one side of it. And I thought that was super interesting. So it all culminates in um January 6th. But he's not able to go because he got COVID. And part of and the more I thought about it, part of me and how like deep ingrained he was in like the the amount of access he was given kind of makes me feel like he might have known what was going to happen and mm-hmm. didn't want to be there. Um he was with these people for a really long time and he didn't get COVID, which doesn't mean that he didn't get COVID. Absolutely. It would make sense if he got COVID. 100%. It just kind of seems like, really, he didn't make it to January 6th? Um, it, uh, it seems convenient, but also like absolutely plausible he just got COVID. I, either way, either thing. Um, but what was interesting, and another, th- again, like it sucks that we have to go back to these children, is he did go back to the children after Biden was inaugurated. Um, and... The kid was like sad because mm-hmm. he's like, and even the dad was like, it's all a lie. Nothing, nothing happened. And the kid is like having a 10 year old is having to question everything that he's been told. And that sucks. It's very scary. If you like, if you really believe in all of that, imagine how scary it would be. Yeah. And this isn't like we should feel bad. For them. No, <laughs> but well, like, I feel bad for the kid. Yeah. His whole life crumbled. Yeah. It's just like, Putting yourself in that perspective, I think, is important not because we need to have, we need to like be like, oh, the poor white nationalists. Yeah. Oh, I feel so, so, so bad for them. No, no, no. It's, it's the idea that like, how does that happen? How do we stop that from happening? Cause yeah. these are people, you know? How did they get there? Yeah. It is, it, it was, it was sad with the kids and like these kids are homeschooled and like they're not going to get the education that they need. Everything that being educated now has to be, questioned and i at least i was having like at least they're questioning it because there are people who would just double down right Mm -hmm. but this kid was legitimately sad and that made me feel sad he's 10 um if not younger so it was a really good documentary it's unfortunate about him not taking note and just continuously asking women to have sex over and over and over and over again until they give in um you're telling me that presumably a leftist man in a position (laughs) of power abuse that power to get sex hmm are you mary i know it seems really implausible mary it seems so implausible um yeah i think it's worth a watch um if you feel like you can get past if you feel like ethically you can watch it knowing what's happened to other women i think and I, and that, that bar is gonna be different for other different sure. people and i watched this before i knew i watched it as soon as it came out i was really excited to watch it um but I thought it was really interesting. I 
I like that he just let them talk, but I still, and they made themselves look stupid. But at the same time, it's like, they don't think they did. And it's so, kind of the Borat thing. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just kind of like, I don't know. This whole like going to con- like different conservative rallies can be done really well and cannot be done really well. And I think this kind of sits in the middle mm-hmm. of like it's really interesting because because he was able to get so much access and they were saying the things that you don't say out loud. They were saying them out loud mm-hmm. um, and just like absolutely so much access he gained and. Yeah, it was really good. He he's done a few interviews afterward. I know one of them. He had a woman who was a, is a journalist questioning his ways and um, like questioning the fact that he interviewed Alex Jones, somebody who just lost everything because he promoted that um, the Parkland shooting Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook didn't didn't happen. I'm sure he said some shit about Parkland too. But oh, yeah, Sandy I'm sure. Hook was the one Sandy Hook is the one he sued. was yeah sued in two different states. Um, I think it's two different because I want think one was in Texas. Anyways, doesn't matter. And so the woman like um questioned the ethics of that, um, which I think is a fair thing to do. And he he defended himself, and the and the audience was clearly on his side. But I think, and she was defensive. But I think that was like a really it could have been a really good conversation to have because is it ethical to go and just let him spew and then put all that in a documentary? Mm-hmm. He's a bad fucking person. Um. But it is important to see. It's important to see these things. This sure. is this is a part of history. Yeah. Um. And there's a lot of documentaries and some really good podcasts being written about all this all this stuff. Um. And this was just a really. This was a good one. There's also um. I can't. I think it's on Discovery because I downloaded. I got Discovery to watch the Glee documentary about January 6th. That's a really good documentary if you want to learn just about January 6th and how fucking. Every time I watch a documentary or listen to something about January 6th, it gets more and more terrifying. Yeah. Like the how close we were to losing everything. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horribly terrifying. Anyways, I won't go off on that, but. <laughs> Um, it was a good documentary. I think there's a lot of things to think about going into it and think about afterwards. Um, for me, the hardest one was putting those kids like front and center. Right. It wasn't like he was mostly interviewing the parents. He was interviewing them, but the bulk of his interview was with this kid. And I know why he did it, but I, I making the kids anonymous would have been good, yeah. but it wouldn't have been good visually. Right. So, yeah. I watched, I've only watched the premiere, but I watched the first episode of Poker Face, which is the Ryan Johnson show with Natasha Lyonne. What more is there to say? So Poker Face is about a woman who can tell when people are lying. It's not a magical ability. It's not like a supernatural thing. She just has a really keen ability to know when people are lying. And she works at a casino and her friend ends up, uh, well, she doesn't know this. The opening scene shows what happened. The Her friend, who also works at the casino, goes in to clean a hotel room. She sees something on a laptop. She takes a picture of it. She takes it to the head of the casino, played by Adrian Brody, and says, this member of our casino is doing something terrible here. What do we do? And the guy who who owns the casino says, we'll take care of it. You go home. Don't worry about it. He ends up deleting the photo she took off of her phone. She goes home. Her boyfriend or her husband, I think it's her husband. Her husband gets shot by somebody who works at the casino the who was in the room when she revealed what was going on. He gets sent to kill the husband and kill her and make it look like a murder-suicide. 
Natasha Leone, that's her friend. She works at the casino. She starts to notice that something isn't adding up here. And using her ability to tell when people are lying, she starts, she tries to solve it. Um, it's the show. I know I've only watched the first episode, so I can't like speak to how well this works. Um, it's set up like an old school procedural in that there is like a bit of a plot from episode to episode, but it's in, it's more focused on what is happening in the given episode. Um, so certainly the plot and and I won't spoil what happens in the first episode, but certainly the plot set up in episode one is going to continue, but the, the show is primarily going to be about what's happening on an episodic basis rather than what is happening from episode to episode. So, the first episode was solid. I don't know how much experience Ryan Johnson has writing for TV, but there was a lot of exposition. Like, I did not need so many demonstrations of how good Natasha Leone's character is at telling when people are lying. Like, I didn't need so many of them. I felt like it was being, it was holding my hand in a way that I did not need it to hold my hand. Um, the fr- it was solid though. Like the it's really held together, I think, on the strength of its performances and like its design and that kind of stuff, because it looks great. Like it the sets look great. The performances are great. The costuming is great. The writing, like the plot, really, really good. The delivery of it, like in terms of like how I felt it used my time. Eh, it was a little it was a little iffy like Bummer. there was there was just so much exposition like like i said i get it she can tell when people are lying we don't need to hammer this home a hundred different ways um that said i am gonna keep watching it i have really liked everything that i've seen that ryan johnson has done i don't think i've seen anything by him where i was just like that sucked um i love natasha leone like what can i say how can you not love her? I love her. So, and there's a whole bunch of people in the show that I'm so excited to see. Like, it's really just a um, a cast of people that Ryan Johnson likes working with. But John Darnielle from the Mountain Goats is apparently yeah. in it. How did I miss this? Wow. I can't wait to see what that's about. Um, so, yeah. I didn't love it. I didn't love the first episode, but I will watch more and see if it picks up now that we've established what the tone is, what her ability is, where it's going, that kind of thing. I think the first episode may have just been too much set up. Now, I am, I almost never like the pilot of something. So I try to give things more of a chance anyway, because the pilot is usually the weakest episode to me. There are very few pilots where I watch it and I'm like, that was excellent. The OC. The, uh, yes, the OC. I'm rewatching it as my nightly show, and the OCs. The OCs pilot. are great pilot. Fucking good. If yeah. not one of the best episodes. Pushing Daisy's pilot, I didn't like so much I didn't watch the show. Do you remember wow. that? I watched it when it premiered at your house. Oh, was, really? Yeah. I don't remember that. I remember it because I was so excited to watch it, and I didn't like the pilot. And then um, I it was several years before I went back and watched the rest of, hmm. rest of the show, and I really loved it. Um, so pilots are usually not that good. Um, so I'm giving this one some leeway and also I love Natasha Leone. You can't stop me. I will keep watching it because I love Natasha Leone. <laughs> um, and she is, as always, a fucking delight to behold in this show where she's also kind of a disaster. Um, so yeah, Poker Face, I'm not sold on it yet, but I will watch more. The last thing I have is, uh, I watch Broadcast News. This is a movie about an alternate life that I lived. <laughs> um, I studied journalism 
just out of high school. Journalism was my major. I took two, actually took more than two years. Anyway, I studied journalism for a while. I planned to be a journalist. I wanted to work in newspapers or, or the web. Good luck. The web. Um, I wanted, As we called it back then. <laughs> I wanted to be a journalist. Um, wide web. I ended up leaving journalism because I wasn't super happy and I realized that I really loved English and like English criticism and writing. And that well, kind of and also at the time, there was a lot of cynicism going on within. I don't know that there has ever not been a time. It's <laughs> fair. Aside from the yellow journalism period, I don't know that there has been a time when journalists are not cynical What's, about the future of their profession. What's sad is a lot of that cynicism came true. Oh, yeah. No, they were right. They were, they were right. right. Um, anyway, I ended up changing majors. But this movie, which ta- it takes place in the 80s, uh, it, and it was made in the 80s. It is about a woman who's a journalist. Well, she's a producer for a, like, I think, cable news network. Um so she like she does a lot of writing and then she like puts together the video stories. The, the, I would turn to my I turned to my husband midway through this. The movie starts with like an opening where all of the main characters are kind of introduced. Like one of them is like this kid who's told like, "Oh, you're gonna be beating the girls off with a stick," and he's like, "I don't know what that means." Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "I get bad grades," and <laughs> and his father is like, "Well." There's like this implication. Well, at least you're pretty, basically. And then another kid is introduced, and he's like really bullied. He graduates school early, but he's very clever. And then the girl is introduced, and she's like absolutely dedicated to her writing and like being a perfectionist and that kind of stuff. And then it goes into them in adulthood, and she's working as a producer for this news network. And um, she just sometimes, uh, before anybody gets into the office, she's already there, and then she just cries. And then, like, puts her game face on back to work. And I turned to my husband. I'm like, if if this is an alternate version of me where I stuck with journalism and didn't switch to English, this is this is what I would be like. The movie is uh, ostensibly a romantic comedy um, about this woman who kind of gets caught in between the two men introduced in the beginning. This uh, news anchor who doesn't have a lot of understanding of like what's happening in the world, but he's a pretty face and he's good at delivering the lines. So he gets the job as the news anchor and then her longtime friend who's very, very funny, who has a really dry kind of sarcastic sense of humor and is passionate about the news and like information and that kind of stuff. And she has like sexual tension with both of them, even though she like kind of despises the very pretty man. Um, so there's this like, there's this from this like love triangle going on between them. But the, the catch is they all fucking suck. <laughs> the two guys suck. And then there's all this drama about like new, the, um, budget cuts and who's going to get fired. And, um, yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> so my shit a rom-com set in a newsroom hell yes i'm there um the movie like i said both of those men suck um but the end of the movie was worth it great great job to broadcast news that was a solid ass movie um i really liked it i thought it was good if you like me love things about newsrooms then you gotta watch broadcast news like you gotta um it was really good it's it's also just like a good ro- romance movie if you want to see it as a romance movie it's kind of like a it's i think it's heavier on the comedy than the romance but the romance is an instrumental part of the comedy so you know um but yeah that's it broadcast news is good 
Oh, so that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. it for this episode. You can find us online at fakeygirlscast.com, which has all of our allegedly. Allegedly. Sorry. <laughs> Watching a lot of Letter Kenny. Um, that has all of our previous episodes, truly, not allegedly. Um, thank you to Emily June for working on our episode transcriptions. Um, if you like this, consider donating to our Patreon yeah. for rewards and yeah. also to get us back to bi weekly episodes. But just give us some time. Yeah, give us give us a little break. Don't don't rush out and do it right now. Um, next time we're going to be talking about Letter Kenny. So I hope you're ready. Next time we're talking about Mean Girls. No, we're talking about Mean Girls. Yeah, don't listen to me. We're talking about Mean. I was Girls. like, I got a lot to do. <laughs> no, we're talking about Mean Girls, and then we're talking about Letter Kenny, and then what we're talking about after that is currently up for a poll in our Discord. It's it's like two opposite polars. Yeah, two changed? opposite polars. Um, oh. it's turn- So it was a three way tie on Patreon. It's a two way tie on discord hmm. between breaking dawn and the amber spyglass um so yeah that's it all right catch on the flip side